TopTal. TopTal is a marketplace for the top developers. So to get a no risk trial period of up to two weeks with the top 3% of developers in the world, visit toptal.com forward slash pool, toptal.com forward slash pool. And thank you to TopTal for supporting this episode. Gummycube. 63% of all apps are discovered via App Store search. This is why you need Gummycube. You need App Store optimization using accurate mobile data. Go to gummycube.com, gummycube.com, and make sure you optimize your app for the best chance of success. Hello, I'm Sarp. I'm the co-founder of Typorama app, and you're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's Paul Kemp. I'm going to get straight into the uh, interview today. It's wonderful. It's with the co-founder and CEO of a great company. I've been following them for years and they are doing lots in the video space. Uh, his name is Chris Savage. He is the co-founder and CEO of Wistia. Wistia is, uh, uh, must be a name you've come across. Uh, I've certainly been loving what they're doing doing uh, with the whole of video. And uh, So let me just, uh, I guess, uh, introduce Chris. Chris, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, excited to come on. You've got a busy schedule. I'm glad you can take time out to uh, chat with us about your journey. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people do know what Wistia is, but for just those few people that may have never heard of you, uh, what is Wistia? What do you do? Yeah, so Wistia is an online video platform. Um, so we try to make it as easy as possible for you to add video into your website, add it into any of the communication where you think it's going to make your communication better, uh, more human. Um, and that can be marketing videos, sales videos, training, internal and then we, we give you a suite of tools to let you customize that experience. So um, the int add interactivity into the player, um, manage all the videos across your organization, and understand how people are responding to it. So analytics to see who's watching what, um, what what's being skipped, what's being rewatched. And um, and then you can look in Wistia and you can figure out like what are the interesting parts of your videos, how do you make your videos better. And then we also let you take that data and put it into the other systems where you might want to understand how video is affecting your business. So you can push video viewing data into market animation, stuff like that, um, to prospect and qualify based on what people are viewing. So really it's, it's a full video suite uh, for business. And actually, one of the big challenges that we often have as app founders and uh, indie developers is the, the fact that we're not getting a lot of uh, feedback on our content, on the videos, perhaps. And does Wistia allow that then within the platform uh, to enable users to almost either give feedback or figure out where in the content itself um, you're perhaps lacking and you're losing people? Yeah, so one of the one of the core things that Wistia does is you can see, you know, at a minute and a 30 into your video or whatever the time is that you're losing lots of people at some moment. They're all turning it off or they're all or they're all rewatching something because it was particularly confusing or really interesting and it just is it's taking advantage of that natural human behavior that people don't want to waste their time. They just want to look at interesting things. They want to learn as fast as they can. Um, and so that changes how they interact with with video players as one of the many things that that does. And uh, so just capturing that data lets you understand that feedback without having to ask someone to fill out a survey. 
Now, Chris, I'm a podcaster, but I'm also, uh, I help launch app, apps. And one of my companies, uh, Velap, I'm working with uh, the team and the co-founder. And we have um, this wonderful 3D technology where the harder you press, the more uh, you like a video. And I've often realized we're using it for skateboarders, but I would love to challenge you and, and to say, do you think there's room for um, that kind of uh, feature where you're watching a video and using it on an iPhone, the harder you press, the more you like, and you do that throughout the video. What do, what do you think to that idea? I mean, that's a very cool idea. You know, it reminds me of the kind of like focus groups that they use for um, presidential debates, although it didn't happen this time, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> where where people would basically dial up or down how satisfied or dissatisfied they were with the content as it was happening. And you could get a view of um, overall across your audience, like what are people really liking, what don't they like? Um, I think that, that is definitely interesting. And for that particular type of use case, I think it's, it's really, really interesting. I think that um, the hard part is getting people to adopt a new user interface like that at scale. And um, so, I, you know, I, I would love to try. I mean, it sounds, it sounds really cool. Yeah, we've had uh, Steve Wozniak demo the app and uh, I have to say he, he loves it, but it's, uh, it's just a, one of the user features that I was thinking about the app. Uh, anyway, this is a, <laughs> a useful uh, conversation. I'd just love to go back to how uh, you see your customers um, using the videos, but particularly within uh, either mobile responsive websites or even apps themselves? Do you actually have uh, app users using your videos? Um, yeah, we see people do that all the time. Um, we launched something called Wistia Kit a little while ago that lets you really easily add um, Wistia videos natively into all iOS devices. Um, we've been supporting Android for a while and we see, we see that people add videos to apps all the time um, and into mobile experiences and responsive experiences all the time. I mean, I think it's it just comes out of control, right? Like if you want, the more control that you care, you want over that user experience, that's when you're going to want to use something like us. Um, so people had asked us for that for long, for for years, and uh, I, was, I was really excited when we got it out there. Uh, Chris, one of the, again, the big challenges that the apps to drive face uh, and I'd love to get your viewpoint, is that you have chosen, I guess, the path of uh, going down uh, video for business and uh, uh, targeting what the B2B or the business uh, um, side of things. And a lot of app uh, apps are actually going for the users, the consumers. It's very, very yep. saturated. What advice would you give to anyone who perhaps is going down the consumer route and should maybe sort of do a pivot and focus a little bit more on the business? Is it an easier market? You know, I think it's, it depends on uh, how successful you are. Like, right. um, you know, I think the consumer market is hard because you have to have a hit. So and it's hard to tell when you're going to have a hit. Um, and I, you know, I think it's kind of similar to the music industry. Like, there's people who are really good at picking hits and there's a lot of people who try, but it's really hard to break out. Um, and the business side, I think there is like, you don't need to have, it's not like a hit based market. Um, so that's the good thing is like, there's a lot more, you know, you can have, I think more control. And if you're, if you're really persistent and you have the time to iterate, you can often figure your way out figure your way into, uh, finding a successful business. I think the, the hard thing is, um, it's just, you end up building different types of tools. Like it's hard to build 
Um, I think things on the business side where, you know, that are just pure user experience plays. Um, that's just harder to do. You can do it. Um, but you know, businesses, you usually businesses are quote unquote, like rational actors who will make a decision because it's like going to improve their business. They don't really care what something looks like. Supposedly. I actually don't totally believe that, but I, I think it is, um, actually I don't believe it at all, I guess, but the, uh, <laughs> it's, I think we're all, I think we're all humans and people make emotional decisions every day. Um, but I have seen a lot of companies that try to sell the business and they try to go in with a better user interface and, and you know, they get shut down because that's not enough. Um, so I think it's hard, but I think it's doable. Yeah. And what I'm learning from you is that we all sell to humans. I love that. And, uh, I mean, in the short time we have, I would love to know uh, the wistier story in a way I followed you from, I think the very early days, and I'm pretty sure I heard you first through podcasting. So obviously you've had an, um, maybe an impact through your, uh, sponsorship of podcasts but what do you, what would you say was maybe your biggest breakout the you know the thing that actually propelled you into the success story you are was there a single event or was it multiple events um it was definitely multiple events um it was funny when they happen at least in our experience my experience um you didn't i didn't really realize how big of a deal they were you know it was only like later looking back i was like whoa that was a big deal um, one of the examples was in the early days, we thought we were going to go, we we're focused on businesses. We we're trying to get them to pay upfront for the year. And we were trying to get them to sign on to contracts that were like a thousand dollars a month. And so this seemed like a really great thing. Like we'll be able to fund the business. So it'll be $10,000 in cash per customer. We did that like three or four times. And then it was really hard to repeat that. It was really, really hard. And, uh, we ended up deciding like, what if we could make it so that you could sign up for Wistia without having to talk to anyone? That meant we could make the price a lot lower. That meant we would build different types of tools. We'd build more things where someone can make an emotional decision when they're buying a product. Like we could focus on a delightful user experience. So we did that and it ended up having an enormous impact and it just changed the trajectory of the business. Um, we'd, it, we were three years in at that point and had 30 customers and um, six months later, we probably had 500 and it just was crazy how fast that change occurred. Um, another big moment for us was when we started doing content marketing and we started using Wistia as a customer, we'd always been trying to imagine what the product should be like. And then we just instantly knew it was like, oh, well, we want to capture emails so that we can send people more things that we make in the future. What if we put something to capture emails on your video? And we invented that and that worked. And then we started thinking about the analytics, what would help us make better videos. And so we built analytics to help us do that. And at the time it just felt exciting and it felt like every step felt the, like the next logical step. But looking back, it was like a huge, ended up being an enormous shift in the business. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, that's not really the story. There's more to it, but I, I think it's, it's, I always find that that process of thinking about um, the big moments of change that often they look actually small uh, when you're doing them. And it's only looking back and you see like, wow, how much growth did, um, did that did that have for us in the market? It's like remarkable. Well, Chris, hopefully in a few years time when you're asked that question, you'll be like, oh, appearing on the App Guide podcast was the uh, second big breakout. But uh, what I, I love about this story as well is the fact that um, uh, it's quite surprising three years in 
and uh, you had about 30 customers. That, that's inspiring to know that then it still takes that amount of time to build a foundation to then have your big breakout. And so it inspires, I'm sure, a lot of people listening to this. Uh, I mean, to me, it's, it's the persistence piece, you know. It's, it's hard to do something for three years. It's hard to do something for six years. I mean, I've been doing this for 10. And at some point I realized, uh, when we were, go- actually it was about six years into the business, we really started to get traction. You know, the right pricing model, the right um, self-service sales model, the right marketing, the right product, the right time, all these things combining and our growth just took off. And um, if you had told me a year before that was gonna happen, I wouldn't have believed you. And I was just thinking to myself, like, how am I still doing this after six years? You know, like I started this company when I was 22 with my co-founder. Um, and we knew nothing about what we were doing. And it's just like, well, we were just crazy persistent. And we were persistent because we actually enjoyed the work. Like it was actually fun to do. And so it was easy to be persistent when it's fun. And I, I think it's actually like one of those things that's, you know, it's part of our values is fun work. Um, and it seems like you could just say like, oh yeah, your startup should be fun. Um, that sounds like a nice idea, but there's not actually real business value that's created from it. I would say that's exact opposite. Like if it's not fun, we can't create the value because we can't be persistent. We can, and, and the work feels like work. And when it's fun, the work doesn't feel like work. It's easy to do. Uh, what would be the, the biggest thing you've learned uh, as like you've started the company at the age of 22? A lot of uh, people listening are young app founders, you know, kind of going off from university straight into their own business. What would be the single biggest piece of advice you have for someone starting out where you were 10 years ago as that young 22 year old? Wow, that's a hard question. Um, I think the thing is like, when you're building your business, you're gonna be faced with many, many times that you talk to someone and when you're talking to them, it really seems like they know more about your business than you do whether this is an advisor or former, like another, someone who's been an entrepreneur before, is one now, the CEO of some company, your friend at a bigger company, you're gonna talk to a lot of people who seem like they know more about your business than you do. And it's really tempting to take their advice all the time. And sometimes you even take their advice when it seems like the opposite of what your instincts tells you. And that seems natural. Um, But I think that one of the things that gets lost and it's hard when you're 22 is like, you actually are the expert on your own business. And your business might be six weeks old, might be six months old, might be six years old, but you actually are the expert. And as, as hard as that can be to believe, and so your job is not to do everything that everyone tells you to do or take everyone's advice. Your job is to parse that advice and find the stuff that resonates with you that if you do it and it doesn't work out, you don't regret it. Um, because I, I think that the only regrets I have building Wistia, and there are not very many of them, but the ones I have are every time I didn't trust my instincts, I did something because someone else advised me to do it. And then in hindsight, it was like, wow, that took us off course for a year, or that was just a complete waste of time and money or just anything like that. Um, and I think it's really easy to fall into that, into that trap. I think it's especially easy when it's at the beginning of your career, um, but even, you know, sometimes I feel that way. It's like, I've been doing this for 10 years. I talk to someone who's running a bigger business than me and they, they tell me something like, oh man, shit, is everything we're doing completely wrong? And then usually what happens, I think about it, I was like, no, they're in a different, you know, they have their own perspective. What can I learn from them? And um, I try to find the stuff that I can learn that if I do it, 
and it doesn't work, I have no regrets. And if it does work, great. You know, I'm just thinking through as well, that lovely piece of advice you gave, which is become your own customer. I often feel like we are, we neglect that as, as well. So f finally then, before we say goodbye to you, Chris, uh, I would just love to know, uh, over the 10 years you've had, um, uh, I guess, what's the, the single biggest thing you look for in a co-founder, uh, someone that's going to work alongside you in that length of time? Because I, I hear after f interviewing over 500 people on this show, you know, one of the biggest uh, reasons for failure is perhaps the team and especially like getting the wrong co-founder. So how do you get the right fit? Yeah, so I, um, so my co-founder and I went to college together. Um, we lived on the same freshman hall. And so when we started Wistia, we'd known each other for five years. And I realized it's like pretty rare. And also I've got the advice, like you shouldn't start a business with a friend because like you can lose your friendship. And um, Brendan and I were both pretty clear with each other from the beginning. We said, hey, we're like great friends. We're actually gonna put our friendship first and try to build a company. And what has happened is like, there have been many times I think where we've had to have really hard conversations that if Brendan was my co-founder and he wasn't my friend first, probably wouldn't have had, probably would have ignored it. Um, and we've, we've had those hard conversations that I think have made our relationship stronger and have let us work together so hard on this for a long time. And so I think when you're looking for a co-founder, you need, you really need to think about, you know, it's funny, my dad gave me this advice, uh, when we first started and I was like, damn it, dad, like, I don't, uh, how do you know what you're doing? But he was actually totally right, which is like, um, is to, uh, really prepare for success. And so let's say you do this, you're starting a company and it works. You launch an app, you, um, build a SaaS business, you start a consulting company. What happens if it works? And what happens if this thing's actually growing? You could be at this for five, six, seven years. Like I know a lot of people who've had successful businesses and they didn't do it for a year. They, once it's successful, you want to keep going, right? And so it's almost like, do you think you could be friends with this person for the next half a decade? If you had to eat four meals a week with them, would you do it? Like, you know, I feel like try to ask yourself the questions that get at longevity and, um, and also like how, how resilient to change do you think this person is? Because building a company, like if there's anything that changes, it's, it's, you know, a growing company. It's unbelievable how many things you do that you have to give to other people, things that you're really good at, things that you don't want to do that you have to do. Like you have to have people who are resilient to change and, um, and you have to have longevity. So I, I, I would say just try to ask those types of questions. Even if you just met somebody, do you feel like you could eat every meal with them that week? And if you did, would that ruin your relationship? Because if it would, you shouldn't you shouldn't start the company with them. And, and Chris, just to wrap up, I have to say, this is one of the reasons why I started this show. I mean, it's so inspiring. You're almost a dream come true because to be able to work with your friends from uni and, I mean, we all go our separate ways, sadly, and just to continue that that kind of relationship you had through uni and, and work with your friends, especially, your, you know, your good friend, it is a dream come true to many of us. And it's great to know that it, it can work despite, you know, all those consultants saying that it doesn't. So, <laughs> um, I, you know, it's funny. I just, even more on that, like, I'm so proud. We have uh, about 80 people on the team today. 
And like the, one of the things is I'm so proud about is if you went around, you sat next to anyone on, anyone on the team, I think you'd be like, wow, this person's super smart. They're really driven. They're an expert at what they do. I want to have lunch with them. I want to hang out with them. I want to spend more time with them. And it's one of those things I did not expect, which is like, I came into this with one friend and I have like, I have many very good friends that have been created just purely because of building a business. Um, and I see that in the team too, that they're all friends with each other. And I think it's like, it's, it's actually one of those things that's like probably one of part of our secret sauce. <laughs> um, and it's hard to do, but, uh, yeah, I think it, I think that advice is completely, it, you can flip it around and turn it into a really strong advantage. It just is going to require some different types of conversations that are, you know, hard conversations to have. Yeah. And I think I'd like the apps to try to think about, uh, cause we all work on our own and, uh, you know, many of us and it can get quite lonely. So it's nice to know that there are startups out there you can go to, to get the belongingness that you need. Chris, um, I'm going to say, uh, it's been a wonderful chat with you. I know that your time is very precious. So I'm very pleased you could come on to the show. Uh, how best can people uh, reach out and connect with Wistia or yourself? What's the best way of getting in touch? Um, you know, go to wistia.com. Um, check that out. I think you can find me on Twitter at C Savage. I've also started um, working on a blog uh, called Savage Thoughts. I'm trying to share more of the experiences that I'm having, you know, scaling a business, um, which I've, I've always looked for information on. It's hard to find. Um, so hopefully there's some good stuff there. Wonderful. Chris, thanks for sharing your inspiring journey. All the best with uh, Wistia. And thanks for coming on the App Guy podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye for now. Bye. TopTal. TopTal is really interesting because if you look at their two major themes and how they differentiate themselves as a network of developers and designers. Uh, the first is the caliber of the people. And I know I have sent a lot of developers and designers uh, to apply for TopTal. And I can see the rejection rate is really high. They are incredibly hard to get into. They have a high bar. But what that means is that the people that are part of the TopTal network have an incredibly uh, high caliber of skill, talent, uh, are, are great to work with. And uh, what that means for you is that it helps you build your projects, build your apps, build your sites a, a lot quicker and without uh, any fuss uh, because you're getting a world-class developer or a designer working on your case. Now, the second thing about TopTal, which really shines through, is the process. They walk you through the process of connecting with a developer or designer. They first of all have a lead developer designer interview you, understand your project needs, work out how best to communicate with you. And then they uh, suggest the people within their network. And in fact, they arrange the interview with the right people. So it's a very hands-on process of matching you with the perfect person within the top town network. So I would suggest highly that if you do have a project, if you do have a shortage of development talent on your own team and you need access to a quick world-class developer network, then go to toptal.com forward slash pool, toptal.com forward slash pool, Gummy Cube. Uh, Gummy Cube is great when it comes to app store optimization. The best piece of advice, get your app store optimization right. Uh, ASO 
is incredibly important because 63% of the apps that are discovered and uh, put onto a phone are through App Store search. And so that means you need to be where it counts. That means being discovered when people are searching your keywords and actually knowing what those keywords are, the best converting keywords. GummyCube are taking all of their data from the app stores. They're not scraping the web. They are actually getting real mobile data. And that is so important because the way we use the app store is very different to the way we search on the web. Uh, so go to a trusted source for your app store optimization go to gummycube.com gummycube.com and i want to thank gummycube for being such a long sponsor of the show